It's Palm Sunday. I'm going to see if you're all going to start yelling Hosanna. That was, I was waiting for you. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Palm Sunday. It's the day that we remember, we've heard it a couple times already, that Jesus rode into Jerusalem as king. And that's what we want to think about today. Jesus being king, riding into Jerusalem, but also riding into my life as king. So say this with me this morning. Say, I'm going to say, say Jesus is king. Ready? Jesus is king. You know what? When you say that, you are saying the most truthful thing you could ever say. We can say this. Donald Trump is president, and some of you could like that, and some of you could hate that. And you know what? And the church ain't the place to figure that out. But you know what? Um, he is only president now because we made him president, and pretty soon he's not going to be president anymore, whether it's in four years or eight years. He won't be president anymore. But here's what I know. That changes, but this doesn't change. Jesus is king. He's always been king. He is, he's king now, and he's always going to be king. Jesus is king. Um, and if there was any time in Christian history where it could be more important to remember and celebrate and, and understand why Jesus is king, I can't think of any time in church history that it would be more important than the very season of church history that we're living in right now. Because I personally think in America, we are living in a, in, in a time of incredible opportunity but a time of incredible opportunity also for great deception. I really do see it happen all the time. It's happening all around us. And here's the deal. I was talking to someone, actually Chris Austin, the other day, and she was talking about something. We were both talking about this. I was doing chapel at OCS about some event. I don't even know what the event was. That it was like mysticism. I'm not talking just the idea of mysticism, mystic, which is a contemplative. That's a fine term. But kind of non-Christian spirituality merged with Christians, with, with Christianity. And all these Christian people were saying, oh, that's good. And I was saying it because I was pointing out to her something that I saw on the internet that was saying, how can people not see this? That they're marrying things together that have no reason to be married together. That the idea of what Christianity is becoming muddled. And I think that's the best word I could come up with. What, what are the, what's the time we're living in? I think we're living in a time of muddled spirituality. I really think that's the season that we find ourselves in. You know, many people in our society around us have, have spiritual ideas. Matter of fact, we just did a, a demographic survey, the 10-mile circle around our church. We always want to know what, who are our people really that we're trying to reach. And we found is they're incredibly spiritual people. The vast majority said they were spiritual. But you know how many people said that, that, um, that Jesus or Christianity was important to their life? Very important, 14%. So almost everybody said they were spiritual, but very few said that this was important to their life. And so we're living in a day, I really think, of muddled spirituality. People are blurring the lines of what Christianity is so that it can appear that they're spiritual. And they have spiritual beliefs and values. And what they really want to make it seem is that all spirituality is equal. That's the real goal. It just If you're spiritual, well, you're spiritual in your way, and I'm spiritual in my way. And so your way is fine and my way is fine. Well, here's the fact of the matter. That's not true. It's not that all, all roads don't lead to heaven. You know, we need to understand something about Christianity. And Palm Sunday is the perfect day to think about it. It's this. Christianity is Christ. 
Christianity is not a church. Christianity is not the assemblies of God. Christianity is not singing songs. Christianity is not the thousand things that we think of. It's not buildings. Christianity is Christ. Someone can be as spiritual as they want, but if they don't know and worship the Christ of the Bible, then that's not Christianity. And then they couldn't be a Christian. And we need to know that in a day of muddled spirituality. So on Palm Sunday, it's a day when we can reaffirm that Jesus really is king. That Jesus is king of the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus said. He came to to tell you the kingdom of God is near. So he's the king of the kingdom of God, which, by the way, friends, is more real than any kingdom on earth. The kingdom of God existed first, and everything else on earth came afterwards. It came out of it. So the most substantive kingdom on the planet, or in the universe, and all the cosmos, is the kingdom of God. That's the most substantial, and the first, and the most real, is the kingdom of God. And Jesus is the kingdom of the kingdom of God. But not only is the kingdom of the kingdom of God, that's his big idea, Jesus is king of my life. He really is. He is my king. I may have other people in authority over me, but the ultimate authority over me is King Jesus. He's my king, and I willingly follow and surrender to and worship King Jesus. And it's his, it's his desire that every person on earth would come under the reign of his kingdom. And the Bible says this, it's going to happen someday. The Bible says one day, every knee is going to bow. So no matter how stubborn a person may be, and how come in this world sometimes we, we celebrate our stubbornness? Oh, I'm just stubborn. That's not a compliment. It's not a compliment when you say, I'm just stubborn. That's a criticism of yourself. You should be, you should be pliable to the hands of the Lord. And so one day it says, every knee, stubborn people included, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we can add, and King of everything and everyone. So what I want us to do today, I want us to grab our Bibles. you have your Bible with you? Let me see your Bibles. Even your phones. I'm still, I still use my phone as my Bible all the time. I use my iPad as my Bible. But I got to tell you, friends, and I'm not dissing your electronics. I I love it printed because I can write in it. My kids say, well, Dad, you can highlight it. Yeah, yeah, but you know what? You know how long my iPad's going to last? Not long. You know what's going to happen? My grandkids are going to get my Bible. I hope so. I hope my grand, I hope my kids, when I die, when I die, they fight over which of their kids get my Bibles. You know? Because I can't think of a better thing my grandkids could ever have. And so, just a thought. Get a nice leather-bound Bible and write it in a lot. So we're going to turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 21. And we are going to look at that triumphal entry is what it'll be saying in your Bible, the, the, um, that first poem Sunday. Matthew 21, first book of the New Testament, starting in verse 1. You there? You all booted up? When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, And immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. 
If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Behold, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt, and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him were, and those following were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when they had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. We'll stop right there. Let's think about this day. Think about it. On that day that we just read about, Jesus began his last week of of life on earth. Not his last week of existence. He always was. We're going to get to that, and he always will be. But his last life, last week of earthly life, ministry. And he began what, what the church has historically called the Passion Week. It's why the movie we watch on Friday night is called The Passion of the Christ. It's talking about his passion, what he was willing to die for. That's what your passion is. Some of you say your passion is Jesus, but you're willing to die for the Packers. Now your passion, his passion was serving the Father. Our passion is passion. Our passion should be Jesus. So he began what we call the Passion Week. And so what's he do? He sent two disciples into town ahead of him to go get a donkey on which he would ride into Jerusalem. Now, you may read that and think, well, what a, what's the point of talking about Jesus' form of transportation? You know, it didn't say earlier he rode over here that way or he walked into that city. You know, why, why did it say here that his mode of transportation? Well, that one fact was really important on this day. You see, entering Jerusalem the way that he did, told everyone, loud and clear, was, couldn't be clearer than taking a bullhorn bull and saying it out loud. He was saying that, I am the promised king that they had been hoping and praying for. I am the, the prophesied promised king. When he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey that day, he was fulfilling a 500-year-old prophecy from Zechariah. One the people of Israel had been praying for and longing to see fulfilled. Look at verse 5 in chapter 21. Look at what it says here. Now notice something. You notice how the type is different in your Bible? Most of your Bibles should have the type looking a little different. Some might, but most years, does your type look a little different? There's a reason. It's saying this is, this is a, taken from the Old Testament, and it's now re-quoting it in the New Testament. It's making it stand out. It's saying, here's the prophecy. Verse 5. It says, This is what's written in the Old Testament. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, who's coming? Your king is coming to you. Gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast 
of burden. So they had known the prophet had said 500 years ago, we keep looking for the one, the one who's going to come. This is the way he's going to enter into your into the realm of your reality. This is the way he's coming. He's literally going to come gentle, riding on a, your king is going to come riding on a donkey into town. So Jesus rides into Jerusalem, sitting on a donkey. You know, he comes in gently. He, he does not come as some political insurrectionist saying, bringing an army with them, saying, we're going to overthrow Rome. No, he comes in gentle. And through his actions, he states openly for the first time, it's the first time in his ministry, he says, I am the promised king. I am the one sent from God. I am the fulfillment of prophecy. I am the one you have been hoping and praying for. In fact, he's saying this, I am. That makes sense? That's how God defines himself. I am. That's what he's really getting at. I'm the one. I'm God. And the people clearly understood his message. Because as you may recall, if you fast forward just a couple of days later, what do they do? They're celebrating him here. A couple of days later, they shall crucify and they kill him. And do you remember what they did? What they hung above a sign above his head when they crucified him? Remember what it said? King of the Jews. They got it. It didn't say crackpot from Nazareth. It said king of the Jews. They understood what he was declaring. He said by riding in on a donkey, I am the king of the Jews. His message came through loud and clear that day. I am the king sent from God to establish, usher in the kingdom of God here on earth. It's always been, but here I'm going I'm to usher it in in its strength and its might here in your lives. So the crowd, let's, let's look at the crowd. They're filled with excitement. What do they do? It says they, they laid palm branches. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. They laid palm branches in the road and their coats in the road. They're giving him this red carpet welcome and they begin to shout to him, Hosanna. You know what Hosanna means? It means save us now. They're saying, listen, we're in, we're under bondage. Hosanna, you're the promised one. You're riding in, you're king. They're not, they're not saying, hey, we like your donkey. They're saying, no, save us, king. They're shouting what they knew they had to shout. Come on, we're time, we're time, we're ready. Save us, save now, son of David. They understand who he is. They understood the prophecies that said a descendant of David would be the eternal king and he would reign and rule forever. And so they say, this must be him. They give him a king's welcome. They understand this is David's anointed descendant is finally here, that God had promised one of David's heirs would sit on the throne throne forever, and this is him riding into town. Imagine what what it must have been like. These people, they understood what God could do, and they're going, this is it. Now let's understand something about that crowd that's all excited that day, that crowd that that praised Jesus on the day and, and welcomed him into Jerusalem as a king. They welcomed them in, but they misunderstood what it meant for Jesus to be king and for him to establish his kingdom. They saw him as one anointed by God who would save them from Roman oppression just like another person had done to under Egyptian oppression, Moses. That was their example. They thought, he's going to be our next Moses. Moses delivered the people of Israel from Egypt and Jesus is going to deliver us from Rome. And they thought that Jesus would be this political leader, this political king, that, that what he hoped, what they hoped for, because Jesus, um, you know, they found themselves, when Jesus came, they found themselves under this heavy hand of Rome. They were heavily taxed. 
They had all kinds of restrictions put on them. Remember, if a, if a Roman soldier said they could carry their bags, they had to carry them a mile. Jesus said, hey, do it too. So there were all these restrictions for Rome. They were executioned. They did anything wrong, Rome would just execute them. They were an oppressed people, and they wanted a king. They wanted a liberator. That's who they thought Jesus was, someone who would set them free. And why wouldn't they believe it? They believed Jesus must be this man, that they had seen the mighty works that he had done over the last three years of his public ministry. They saw him restore sight to blind people. Many of them were probably there when he fed 5,000 people with one boy's lunch. They saw him heal lame people. They had heard stories how he raised Lazarus from the dead. They had listened to him as he taught. And they said, man, this guy teaches with incredible authority, not like the other religious leaders. Surely with power and authority like that, Jesus was without a doubt the one who would set them free. They're, they're shouting, King Jesus. And listen, friends, in their mind, it all made sense. The timing was perfect. It was approaching the Passover feast. And that was symbolic of the, the Passover was symbolic of the events that, that Israel celebrated when they were in captivity under Pharaoh. And the, when the plague, the last of the plagues came and, and, and Pharaoh uh, was told by Moses, listen, I, the death angel is going to come. He's going to kill all your firstborn. But if you will take and put, sacrifice the lamb and put blood on your doorposts, that night what will happen is the death angel will pass over every house. That's where the word Passover, pass over every house when I see blood on the doorpost. It was looking forward to Jesus being the sacrificial lamb and him saving us. And they said, man, it's Passover. Passover's right there and he's coming right now. This is God's perfect timing. Just like, like God made Pharaoh let our people go, God's going to have Jesus say, let our people go. It's the Passover. For them, the Passover was like our 4th of July. It's a, a time of, of national, a celebration of national pride and freedom. For them, Passover equals freedom. And, and now, just maybe, something like that would happen again, and Jesus would lead them from bondage to freedom. So on that day, the people received Jesus as their king, and they shout, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was a great day for the people. Their years of suffering and their minds were over. Jesus, their king, is coming in. They know what God can do through a man. The atmosphere must have been electric because remember, they didn't realize that the crucifixion was only a few days away. That within the week, Jesus would be nailed to a cross and die. To them on that day, Israel was going to rise again under the leadership of their new king and his name is Jesus. That's what they thought. But remember, they misunderstood what was really going on. They misunderstood what it meant for Jesus to be king. Their hope for him to be a political leader that would just set them free from Rome, friends, that vision they had was way too small. It way undervalued who Jesus really was and who Jesus really is. Their view of Jesus was way too small and their plan for Jesus was much too little. They saw Jesus simply as a man like Moses, empowered by God so that God could do his work through them. But Jesus is so much more than that. He isn't just a king. He is the king. 
He isn't just a man empowered by God. Jesus is God. Their hope for him was much too small and much too limited. Now, I don't think I would blame them for having too small of an idea about who Jesus was. If I was in their shoes and I was living in fear of Rome, and suddenly a Moses-like figure arises, I would probably bend just like them and say, you know what, I'd be really happy if he would set me free, and he'd be a political leader, and, and, and he, would, he would set us free like we've been set free in the past. But friends, Jesus is so much more than that. And we need to understand this. In a year, in a day of muddled spirituality, We need to understand so much more than what they thought of this puny little view of God, of Jesus. And that's what our culture thinks today. They have this puny little view of Jesus. It's much too small and it's much too insignificant. So they can say, I can just be spiritual. I'm just spiritual. I'm just like you. Well, I'm telling you, the problem arises because they don't understand the magnitude of who Jesus really is. Because when we get it, It changes everything about our every single day of life. We'll do nothing other than say, let me know you and and worship you and follow you. When we come to know the magnitude of Jesus, when we go beyond what they were thinking and beyond what our world thinks and we really see Jesus for who he is. And friends, the Apostle Paul, he understood that we need to see Jesus more clearly. And he helps us um, see the magnitude of who Jesus really is. Take your Bibles and flip towards the end of your Bible, so the book of Colossians. We're going to look at a section of Scripture. And I would say this, Colossians chapter 1. If there is any section of Scripture that you need to have highlighted, so go ahead and click and drag and highlight. Better yet, take your pen and on your paper and draw a line next to it so later you can take your highlighter out nice and neatly. Suzanne takes a card and she underlines. Nice straight. I just take it and go like this and my lines aren't real straight. Colossians 1. There's no section in the scriptures in this day and age probably more important for you to read and reread and have underlined and photocopy and stick on your refrigerator than this section of Colossians right here. Colossians 1, verses 13 to 22. Listen to this description of Jesus. She's talking about Jesus. Verse 13. I'll talk about the Father. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. I'm reading a New Living Translation. It's very clear in this translation. Verse 15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see, And the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him, and he existed before anything else. And he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God, in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by the means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, 
separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. If you don't have that section highlighted, I'm not sure what makes you highlight anything. Where in the world do we start? We could spend the next month preaching sermons just on this section on the supremacy of Christ from Colossians. But let's just do a a quick overview to get this idea on Palm Sunday. when When he's saying, I'm king, what's he mean when he says, I'm king? This is who he is. Let's start, well, first of all, Jesus is what? Jesus is king of God's kingdom and one who rescues us from the kingdom of darkness. That's verse 13. He is king of God's kingdom and the one who rescues us from the kingdom of darkness. Do you know that a person without Jesus lives in darkness? You can be as spiritual as you want, but if you don't have Jesus, you're living in darkness. That's what, that's what the Apostle Paul is teaching us right here. So Jesus rescues us from the kingdom of darkness. What else is Jesus? Jesus is, listen to this, the visible image of the invisible God. We can't grasp who God is. It's just beyond us. So Jesus came as one of us, as a person, so we can understand God more fully. God loves us so much, he said, I don't want you to muddle around trying to figure this out. I'll let you understand who I am. I will come into your world and reveal myself. And when the way he did that is Jesus himself came as a human, but also fully God into our world. So when we see Jesus, we see God. Do you want to know if your ideas about God, how he thinks and how he acts are correct? Because here's the deal. We learn this on Wednesday nights in our classes. We talk about the narratives we believe. We believe a lot of false things about God. Do you want to be able, have a litmus test to figure out to something hold a measuring stick to hold something up next to you to say, are my views of God correct? Look at Jesus. That's what he's saying. Look at Jesus. Does what you believe line up with what you see in Jesus? Because that's what God's doing in Christ. He's letting us see who he is and how he acts and how he thinks and how he loves. So if you want to better understand God, look at Jesus. Because it says here, he's the fullness of God. What else does Paul say? Look at this one. It says, he existed before anything was created. Some people have a false belief about Jesus. It's called, it's called modalism. They believe that Jesus, that God existed as a father. Then he existed as Christ. And now he exists as the Holy Spirit. Well, that's not the story of the Bible. That's not what the Bible says at all. Jesus is here on earth. We saw that he was filled with the Holy Spirit as baptism, and the voice of the Father is speaking to him. Why? Because Jesus wasn't created. That's a, another old heresy the church dealt with, church dealt with years ago, thousands of years ago, um, where they believe that Jesus was created. Jesus, no, what's it say here about Jesus? He existed before anything was created. Jesus is eternal because he's God. He's part of the Godhead. He's part of the Trinity. Friends, guess what? Buddha and Muhammad are not eternal. Only Jesus is eternal. Jesus is God. Listen, I love it. In John, we're going to look at a quote of verse for you in a second. In John, when Jesus was praying to the Father at the end of the book of John, and it's, it's the end of his earthly ministry, 
And it's recorded in a section of the Gospel of John called Jesus' High Priestly Prayer. And listen to what he prays at the very end of his life. This is John 17, 5. He prays this. He's talking to the Father. So imagine this. We're getting the only place in Scripture, hardly, a couple places where we get insight into Jesus directly talking to the Father. And he says this. He says, now, Father, glorify me together with yourself. Listen, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Friends, there's no room there for God existing as Father and then existing as the Son and then existing as the Holy Spirit later. Modalism. There's no room there for a time when Jesus was created. They existed eternally because because the Godhead is a relationship of of the Trinity together. Can we grasp that? Not really, but it's what the Scriptures show us. And Jesus, it says here, existed in the glory of the Trinity before they created. They, the Trinity, created our world through Christ. And think of this. Jesus left that glory to come to earth to reveal God in such a way that we could grasp. He left all of that. And he left all of that to give his life in our place. Friends, That's a great king. What a God. What incredible love that Jesus would do that. Wrap your head around that today. Leaving the glory of the Father in the Trinity to come down to dust, to earth, to serve us, to reveal God, and to die for us so that we could live. That's amazing. What else does does Paul say in Colossians? Um, about Jesus. Look at verse 16. It was Jesus that created everything. Say that. Say everything. Everything. Jesus created everything. Heaven and earth. And look at this. He says he created what we can see. And we're so wrapped up in what we can see that we forget there's a whole bunch that we don't even know about. We think we're so smart and so wise. Friends, again, this world came out of the unseen world. The unseen world is more significant and more real and more eternal than this world. But we see this world. And look what it says. He says, he created everything, heaven and earth, what we can see and what we can't see. And he then describes some of the things we can't see. Things like thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. You know what that says to me? It says Jesus is no puny king that needs to worry about the strength of some other king. You know, he made all the kings and all the kingdoms, even those in the unseen world. So you know what, church? Why do we ever live in fear? We don't ever need to live in fear if Jesus is our king and he's the king who made all kings. Nothing could ever happen to us outside his love and outside his control. He is above everything because he created everything. There's not this this fight between good and evil. He is good and he's only let evil function to accomplish his purposes. We do not need to live in fear. That's Jesus as king. When he's your king, you don't need to live in fear. What else? Jesus, King Jesus, he says, Paul says, is the head of the church. Guess what? I tell you this all the time, but you need to believe me. I'm not the head of the church. 
The Pope is not the head of the church. Although I don't ever remember a time where a Catholic Pope has received so much press as the current Pope. He's not the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. He's the one who said he would build his church and even the powers of hell could not overpower his church. Why could they not overpower him? Because he is the head. He is the leader. He is the king. Friends, you can bank on the church. The church may not always look like it does right now. The church changes all times in different cultures. Oppression happens. Things happen. The church and its manifestations morph in time. But guess what? The church, the redeemed of Jesus Christ, the church, the called out ones. If you know Christ as Savior, you are the church. This is not the church. You are the church if Jesus lives in you. Friends, the church will always rule and reign because Jesus will always rule and reign. So friends, you know what? Bank on the church. Bet on the church because it's Jesus's church. You know, are we maybe, as we're looking at what Paul, what Paul says here in Colossians, are we maybe starting to understand that the Jews on that day when they welcomed him as king saw Jesus as his political figure on their first Palm Sunday, but their view of who he really was was just a wee bit too small? How about a mile too small? Let's think about just one more thing that, that Paul says here about Jesus. That King Jesus, look what he does. He reconciles lost humanity with God and makes us holy and blameless. Look at that, verses 20 to 22. And through him, Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you. This includes you, me, who are once far away from God. You are his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Friends, Paul is writing this to the church in Colossae. He's writing it to people who have received Christ. And he's saying, if you have received Christ, he says, guess what? Because of Christ, you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Look at what Jesus offers to any of us. We were, maybe are today, separated from God because of sin. That's what Paul's writing about. We're all like Adam and Eve. We all start out like Adam and Eve. We sin and we run and we hide from God just like they did in the garden. And we live our own way. We live our own life. We do it our way where we are king. And we also, we make the big mistake of celebrating that. No one's going to tell me what to do. Well, guess what? Someday, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That Jesus, Lord, someday, if you don't bow to him now, someday you will later. That's not a a brutal thing. It's a gracious thing because he's king. But all, all of us start off like this. 
We run and we hide from God. We live our own way. We are our own king. But the problem is, sin has consequences. And we end up a mess. We do without Jesus. And not only do we end up a mess, but we can't fix it. There's nothing we can do about it. Oh, we try, but ultimately we can't fix the problem that sin creates because only Jesus can do that. We especially can't fix the broken relationship between a, 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 a running away person and God. We can't do that. But enter Jesus. He's the peacemaker. He is the reconciler, Paul says here. He tears down the barrier of sin between us and God. He brings mankind together with God through his death. He died in our place. He paid for our sins. He conquered the curse of sin. That's what Jesus did. So you could say, I made peace with everything. Because he conquers the curse of sin. Sin no longer has to rule. We can let it rule, but it does not have to rule. We have an ability to go beyond sin to Christ. And when we come to him, he sets us free from sin. And he makes us, as we said a minute ago, makes us holy and blameless as if we had never sinned in the first place. Sometimes you don't believe that about yourself. You think you come to Christ and you think somehow God's looking at you with judgmental eyes. He doesn't see you as beautiful. Friends, what's Paul saying here? That if you're in Christ, he sees you as holy and blameless. It's all done away with. It's all under the blood. You stand before Jesus, holy and blameless, as if you have never sinned in the first place. Friends, that's who King Jesus is. He is the one who purchased your freedom and forgave your sins. And think about this. We all have the same opportunity today as those folks did on that first Palm Sunday in Jerusalem. We just don't happen to have palm branches. But what we can all do, we can all receive Jesus as King. We can welcome Him into our world and into our lives And he can be king. He is already king. But we can come to terms with that in a sense of saying, I need you. Help me, King Jesus. And we see all that he does. And he still receives us today. He still offers to be king and receives us as those in his kingdom today as real as he did on that day over 2,000 years ago. I think the thing we need to think about at Palm Sunday then is have we really done that? Is Jesus king of your life? I'm not saying do you go to church. There's all kinds of people today in this muddled spirituality who are in all kinds of houses of worship. I'm not talking about going to church. I'm talking about have you received King Jesus as your king? Are you living? Did you, did you say that 20 years ago? But reality is there's nothing about your life that says you're living with Jesus as your king? Here's the good news, because the gospel is good news. You can today and every day. You can welcome him in and say yes to King Jesus. And here's the deal. If you've not done that yet, 
Simply ask yourself this question. How's that working for you? I know the answer. We can fake it. We can put on all kinds of good good uh, facades. But when you lay in bed at night, how's it working for you? Are you feeling more full of love and grace and goodness and happiness? Or is life just a rotten, terrible struggle? And you're afraid to die because you don't know what's out there. Whether that's maybe in 10 years or 10 minutes, we don't know. We had a wonderful lady from our church, just found out this morning, passed away Saturday. Luella passed away Saturday. Found it out. Somebody walked in the church this morning and told me. I had no idea. We don't know. No man knows the day or the hour. You know what I know about her? She knew King Jesus. And she's in his kingdom in a greater understanding of that dimension today because she knew Jesus. So the fact is, or the question is, how's it working for you if you don't have Christ in your life? Are you ready to receive love and forgiveness from Jesus? That's the question. Would you pray with me this morning? Let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. Palm Sunday, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you have led the church over all these um, literally thousands of years to remember certain milestones in our calendar, certain things that are, that are important to remember. And this is one of them, that you are king. You're not the big buddy upstairs. You're not, you're not my, just my co-pilot. Not at all. That's completely wrong thinking. You're the king. You're the king of kings. You're the creator of everything, Jesus. You're eternal. You're pure love. And you, in that love, came to this earth. You humbled yourself. Your word says you emptied yourself of of some of that dimension of godness. We don't even know what that means, but somehow you emptied yourself partially to to function in human flesh. And you walked among us to help us to see what you're like, what God is like. And then you ultimately said, I want to show you what God is like because now I'm going to give my life for your life. That synod had damaged the relationship and made it impossible, made man run away from God. It says there that we were, we were lost in darkness. But you were the light that shines in the darkness. You came and you shine into the world and you shine into our own hearts right now. And you give us hope that we can trust in you and Lord, that you, you offer something to us amazing. You say, I'll forgive you of everything. But to, but to receive that, you've got to come to me. And that's, that's not in a way that you have some kind of something that you need out of it. You don't. You don't need anything. It's that you know that we have to come to you to be united with you, to find real life and forgiveness. It's only found in you. And so you welcome us to a place of safety. You welcome us to a place of salvation. You welcome us to a kingdom 
that you that you protect us in and you love us in and you rule and reign in. And you offer that today. Just as you did to those people 2,000 years ago, waving palm branches. Thank you that we can have people like the great apostle Paul to help us understand it more fully so that we don't miss the point. And so, Lord, I just say, from my perspective, I welcome you as King and Lord. I want you to always rule and reign in my life and in this church. We want to follow you because your way is best. We want to know you because you are God. We want to worship you because you are the, the only one really worthy of worship. we're in prayer and our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed maybe you're here today and you know this you know that you really don't have Jesus as king of your life I'm not saying for anybody we all have problems and struggles I'm not saying we don't have doubts we all have doubts but I'm saying you have never said yes to Jesus not really you never jumped in all the way you never you never jumped in with, with all of your life You've said, I, I just want to follow Jesus. If you're here today and you're saying, I want to say yes to Jesus, I want you to do something between you and me and God because no one else is looking around. I want you to look up at me and look me right square in the eye and I want you to, I want you to make eye contact with me. Okay? Anybody else? Just look me right in the eye. I'm going to look through the congregation from my left to my right. I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you. Anybody else say, I want to receive Christ today. Okay? Okay? Anybody else? And we're going to do this this morning. We're going to pray. If you looked at me today, you're saying, I want to say yes to Jesus. And I believe you mean it. I'm not saying you have all the answers because none of us do. I don't have, I got way more questions than answers. But I know Jesus loves you. I'm going to invite the whole congregation. We're going to pray a prayer out loud today. If you, if you said yes to Jesus today, I want you to, to pray this prayer. There's nothing magical about the words. What it is, is you just talking to God. And he wants us to talk to us like, for us to talk to him like we talk to any other person. Because he's real and he's alive and he's here. And he wants to hear you. And so join in this prayer this morning. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, thank you that you are king. We celebrate you today. And I thank you that you offer yourself as king to me. And on this Palm Sunday morning, 2018, I ask you to receive me as your child. Welcome me into your kingdom. Wash away my sins. Make me holy and forgiven in your sight. Because only you can do that.
And on this day, I declare to you that I am your follower, that I need your help, that I need the strength of your spirit to fill me and to lead me and to guide me. So on this day, I receive Jesus Christ as my King and my Lord.